This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 136, Learning to Meditate and Sticking to Your Practice. Do you struggle showing up regularly in your meditation practice? Or maybe you feel like you're always making excuses to skip or you're doing it just because you think you should do it. If you're saying yes to any of these, or if you're newer to meditation and you want to get started, today's episode is for you. For today's episode, I sat down with Kelly Smith. Kelly is a globally celebrated yoga and meditation teacher. She's the founder of Yoga For You and the host of the iTunes chart-topping podcasts, Mindful in Minutes and Meditation Mama. Kelly believes that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to yoga and meditation and encourages her student to find their own personal practice, to listen to their bodies, and find inner joy by accessing their most authentic selves and owning their power. Kelly specializes in the non-physical limbs of yoga and is best known for her master trainings in meditation, restorative yoga, and yoga nidra, and her international retreats. I would love to read your takeaways on today's episode, so as you listen, take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will, of course, reshare you, but my idea is that everybody can read your takeaway so we can go deeper into the content of each episode and we can learn together as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Hey, how are you? I'm so well. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is like already the highlight of my day. Amazing. So Kelly, for listeners that don't know you very well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your yoga meditation journey? Sure. So I'm Kelly Smith. I'm the founder of Yoga For You, which is a location-independent yoga and meditation school. Uh, I specialize in teaching meditation, yoga nidra, and restorative yoga. And I travel all over doing pop-up trainings in those three different modalities. And then I'm the host of the podcast Mindful in Minutes and Meditation Mama. They're both mostly guided meditations that are less than 20 minutes. Mindful in Minutes is my original baby. I've been doing it for about five years. And that's all guided meditations that are different topics, less than 20 minutes. And then Meditation Mama is all meditations for mothers. So from prenatal to mothers with adult children. So it was my uh, pregnancy project. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. How about your own journey with meditation? Why did you start? When did that happen? And why focus on this now as your offering? So I was first introduced to meditation when I was a teenager and my mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and I was her primary caregiver and Mm. the story has a happy ending because she's in remission. So don't worry. But, um, that was the first time, you know, we would do yoga and stuff together and I had practiced yoga. I was really into the physical, but with all of her treatment and surgeries, that wasn't an option. So I was the Mm -hmm. first time I was really introduced into like meditation or, you know, visualization and the power of even connecting with your breath and what that can do for you. And that's when I was introduced to it. And then I kind of ignored it for a while mm-hmm. and you know, brought it back at different times in my life where I felt lost or disconnected. But this was also like the early to mid 2000s. So it was still like, it wasn't quite in vogue yet. So there weren't quite the resources out there that there are now. And when I graduated college, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I took my 200 hour teacher training, as I think many people do when they're at the crossroads of, you know, an intersection. And then I still kind of ignored it and worked in business for a little bit. And then I moved for love 
to a rural part of the U.S. in the Midwest. And I had to leave my job and my family and my friends. And my husband was in school all the time. So I decided I was finally going to follow my dream and start teaching yoga. And it was actually my students that inspired me to really dig deep into restorative yoga and meditation. I was originally teaching like a really fiery, powerful vinyasa practice. Mm -hmm. And that's what resonated with me, like as a former athlete and they didn't, my students didn't need that. And I wanted to be able to serve my students. It's my belief that as a teacher there to serve my students, it has nothing to do with me. And so I wanted to gain the tools to give them what they needed. And that meant learning more about meditation and practicing it myself and restorative yoga, slowing down so that I could bring these things to my students. And I kind of just fell in love with it because to me, it felt like a missing piece in a way. I felt like there's so many wonderful teachers that are doing these great, you know, vinyasa practices or these asana practices. But at the time, I just didn't feel like there were a lot of people that were talking about these more like introspective practices and meditation, not in a way that I felt like was you know, super relatable where it was like, oh, I'm just, you know, at 20 something on this journey and I love meditation. And, you know, this is how you can set up like a simple and realistic meditation practice that doesn't require going to a cave and, you know, (laughs) meditating for an hour, chanting OM, like crisscross applesauce. And so really it was my students that inspired it. Mm. And after I sold my studio, when I was living in one part of the U.S. and we moved again. I, that's when I went location independent and started my podcast as a way to still teach my students back in my studio because for meditations, audio is such an easy format. And so just putting them up on a podcast was you know, an easy way for them to access them. And so I just started doing that and then it was kind of growing. And I realized that there's a lot of people that are really yearning for tools to be able to turn inward and to kind of connect with the true self and that a lot of us are searching for that. Totally. I love how you just pivoted to serve what your community needed. Like it's such a great skill as a teacher to not make it about us. And I wonder if they were a teacher for you in that sense, where maybe you start to teach something you needed that you didn't know you needed, like did something shift in you as a practitioner as well? I mean, a hundred percent. I think that, you know, we are always you know, at some point in life. And at the same time, I think we're often a teacher to some people, but we're also a student to other people at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of wild because yeah, I was like their yoga teacher, but also my students were teaching me a lot too, and kind of giving me these pushes and these nudges. And I believe a lot in just the universe, you know, working in a way that serves your greatest and highest good. And so I think that I was kind of dealt this situation and this specific community because it definitely unlocked not only a passion of this for me, but it really highlighted what was missing and what Mm. people needed. And, you know, I got into this because I like, I just like making people feel good and feel happy in a way, but I like doing that where they find their happiness and their joy and feeling good from unlocking it within themselves, not Mm -hmm you know, because, oh, I teach this class and like, they feel so, so good, which is nice when I do that, but I want people to find it within them. Yeah. And that's why I got into this. And so for me, the way that I have found, I've been able to do that most successfully is through like meditation and yoga nidra and doing these practices that are more designed, like to go directly to like the soul space and the true self space. 
That's beautiful. Since you've transitioned from teaching life to people to them having to show up and do the meditation on their own, what are some of like the common objection that you might have heard or the challenges that people face with overcoming beliefs or obstacles that might stop them from actually showing up and doing the meditations when you're not, you know, there with them in person in the classroom? You know, it's so interesting because I hear a lot of that resistance or those challenges for like a physical asana practice. I hardly ever hear it for meditation. And I think it's Hmm. because meditation is such a personal private thing. You're working, you know, with your mind, you're taking a journey through the self to the self. And I think people like to do that, like at a time that suits them for a duration that suits them with a style, you know, usually in the comfort of like their own home. And Mm -hmm. I didn't find that a lot of people, like I'd weave some meditation, like into my classes, but I've never found a way to successfully lead like a group. I do like meditation retreats, which is, you know, a a totally different thing because people are opting into like a full week long meditation experience, Mm -hmm. but to just put like a regular meditation class, like on the schedule, I've never found that successful. But when I do like an audio form, or something where people can like literally just be like, okay, now's my meditation time. I'm going to hit play. I have found so many more people resonate with that and that people usually don't have the resistance. Their resistance is almost like coming to like a group setting for meditation. But I will say when it comes to yoga classes that people definitely miss like the community aspect, they miss Mm -hmm. being, you know, they find for many, it's not quite as valuable to not have like my eyes as the teacher, like on your actual body in the same way of being able to really give that like real time, like cueing and feedback based on what I'm seeing and just sharing like that space of us all kind of moving and exploring at the same rate. I know that that's something that a lot of people miss with doing virtual or Mm -hmm. doing online, Mm -hmm. but I've felt really fortunate because I think for many people, they're looking for virtual when it comes to meditation because they have their own little space. They have their surrounding. They just want to hit play on the guide. Like that's the missing piece. Mm -hmm. So for people that don't quite feel like that, how can they create like a practice that they will actually stick to? Like if they feel like they do it once or twice and then they don't do it for a few weeks or they have trouble creating time in their schedule for it. Do you have any tips to help them be consistent or create a container that supports them into practicing more? Yeah. So I always tell people, one, you're most likely to quit between weeks (laughs) two and three. So I always just tell people like having realistic expectations and just having that clarity of being like around the second Like if you can meditate daily for three weeks, like usually if you can make it past that three week mark, it's a habit at that point for you. What happens between the week two and week three? You know, I don't know. (laughs) My theory, I have a theory Uh and it's that the newness has worn off. Mm. Um, You know, it's always fun starting something new and being like, oh, I'm going to start this wonderful, great new habit and meditate every day, usually by like day, like nine or 10. So it's like you know, the week and a half, like two week point, I think the newness has worn off, but I don't think you're quite feeling the big shifts and changes yet where you mm-hmm. want to like keep it and implement it. Yeah. You don't um, have all the benefits yet. Yeah. Cause it usually takes about four weeks or so. And studies tell us that eight to 10 minutes a day is enough to get the mental, emotional, and physical benefits of meditation, but it's usually about 10 minutes a day over a four to eight week span. So you need to be That's in a it commitment. for a little bit. It's a commitment. And, but I always like to tell people 10 minutes a day, even eight minutes a day is all you need. 
And I think that sometimes we get overwhelmed and we think, oh, this is just another thing I have to do. I have to do it Absolutely. for half an hour, for an hour, whatever. And I mean, I'm a meditation teacher and I don't do that. I don't have time for it. I have kids. I have a business. Mm-hmm. I have a life. And your meditation should always feel good. It should never feel like something you should be doing or just another thing you have to check off the list. It shouldn't feel cumbersome because meditation is such a beautiful way to really tune inward and check in with the self and to kind of give yourself this little gift of like hitting the pause button, even if it's just for those eight minutes. So if you've tried meditation before and you didn't stick with it or it didn't resonate with you, it didn't work. I always tell people one, how long were you doing it for? And is that a realistic length of time for you? There's no shame in saying, I can't do 20 minutes a day. So I'm going to do eight instead. There's no shame in that to what style were you doing? There's so many different styles, just like yoga. There's so many different styles Mm -hmm. and variations on each style. Like what style were you doing? Maybe you try a different style. Were you doing it with a teacher? Does that teacher really resonate with you? If not, then, you know, that may not be the right fit. And then are you setting yourself up for success? So are you doing it at a time of day that you're likely to stick to? For most people, the first 10 minutes of the day or the last 10 minutes of the day are the ones where you're more likely to be consistent. So either like before you pick up your phone, yeah, your alarm goes off. Just you can even get up, just sit up in bed and do 10 minutes meditation and maybe 10 less minutes of scrolling. You know, when people say they're really busy, I'm like, well, just do 10. And I really believe this, just do 10 less minutes of something that doesn't serve you. And that's usually just like scrolling on your phone or, you know, it's not like 10 less minutes of that is not, you know, I think you'll be okay with mm-hmm. that or, you know, <laughs> you'll survive. Maybe. Yeah. I think you'll survive. And you're, you're swapping out those 10 minutes for something that, you know, this is world of benefit for you. So the first 10 minutes of the day, or if you're the kind of person where you struggle to fall asleep at night, your brain is like so busy and so wild, do your whole night time routine, do the whole thing. And then again, you can just sit in bed and meditate for 10 minutes and then just get in bed and try to go to sleep. It will really help improve your sleep and quiet the mind. If you have that really Mm -hmm. busy brain specifically at night. So setting yourself up for success, like when am I most likely to do this? Like if you aren't a morning person, you don't need to start waking up at 4 a.m. every day to meditate. Like that's not realistic. So I always just believe that you need to make your meditation practice work for you and do what feels good and right and fits in your life. And that's really kind of the sweet spot for success. Mm -hmm. And that also helps you. I feel like if meditation, if you're in that space where it doesn't feel good yet, right? Like you're not getting the benefits yet. It gives you like a little bit of a container to be patient, to be like, okay, I can do this. You talked about checking your expectations and like keeping those in check, being realistic with the time that we allocate to this and that we are able to do choosing a style or trying different styles until we find something that feels aligned. Same with the teacher choosing or trying different teachers until something that resonates more with us. And then setting ourselves up for success. And the example that you gave was like, when do you do it? And swapping time out of something else that is less beneficial for you. So if it doesn't feel good, I mean, it doesn't have to feel good. Like, I don't think meditation is supposed to feel good. It's not like this (laughs) gratification thing in the moment necessarily, but it's sometimes easier to stay consistent if it feels good rather than it feels like a constant uphill battle. <laughs> Do you have any other tips to like help us stay consistent, even though it might feel like something we dread for a little bit? Like if we feel that dread, is there something else we can add on a little icing on that cake to be like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Yes. So, and I love that you make that clarification because when I say like meditation should feel 
good. I guess what I mean is that it should feel like useful in a way. It shouldn't feel like, you know, oh, it's just, you know, this, this other thing I have to do. Meditation won't always like necessarily feel good and pleasant. Like it can be uncomfortable when you start, you know, they say quiet the mind and the soul shall speak. It's actually quiet the mind and everything will just start yelling. And you know, your body, <laughs> I'm sure that's what they actually meant. <laughs> But, but I mean, it's the truth. your mind, all these things start thinking about your grocery list or what you're going to do later in the day. Or all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, why did my hips hurt so bad? Or have I always had this low back pain or wow, I'm so worried about this, you know, meeting that I have later today, or this person mm, said this mm-hmm. weird thing to me last night. I'm still thinking about it. Just everything comes flooding in and that's not necessarily the most pleasant thing. And so I think, again, like having these realistic expectations that we're trying to just be an observer and witness what's happening like within us and around us, but also recognizing, I always like to think about the science and go back to the benefits of like, why is this so good for me? And so even just, you know, very kind of like spark notes version, but even 10 minutes a day of meditation, what happens is in our brain is that our neurological activity begins to move away from the amygdala. And the amygdala is kind of like the drama queen of the brain. It's responsible for pain, worry, anxiety, and fear. It's the drama queen of the the brain. I love that. (laughs) I know sometimes I don't want to like offend people because sometimes in my everyday life, I refer to the amygdala as a she because I think of her as this like middle school girl, but it is, you know, kind of the drama queen. It's what kicks off the fight or flight reaction. Mm-hmm. And anytime that we see some kind of like a stressful trigger, we get that activation of fight or flight. And what happens is over time when we're constantly stimulated and living under stress is that the amygdala actually begins to get stronger because our brains can adapt just like any other part of our body. It gets bigger, it gets stronger and it starts reacting faster. It says, oh, I need to work harder because I need more like fight or flight. And so what happens when we meditate is that we're deactivating the amygdala and then we're moving the mental or the neurological activity to the prefrontal cortex, which is like right behind your forehead, which works with emotion regulation and it works with concentration and memory and focus. So we're actually rewiring our brain to have smaller physiological pain, worry, and fear reactions and to have a greater capacity to be able to regulate our emotions and have mental clarity and focus. And there's also like, there's wonderful benefits for, you know, your body, it's supposed to help with like, you know, the aging of cells and your blood pressure. And just, there's wonderful, beautiful. There's also a lot of emotional benefits to it, but we could be here all day if we talked about all the wonderful things of meditation, but I don't think Erica, you want to be here all day talking about brains, but (laughs) actually, (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe, but there's just, I mean, it really is kind of magical. And I like to think about the benefits of like, Mm. Just like if you're going to move your body and you're like, do I really feel like getting up off the couch and moving my body a little bit right now? And it's like, "Mm, no. But then I remind myself, like, I never regret it. Like, it's good for me. It's important for my health. Like, it's good for my mental health. And I always just go back to the benefits. Like, why did I start doing this in the first place? And like, what was Mm. my motivation? And just returning to that and then having realistic expectations. And like, it's eight minutes of your day. And that's it, like just eight minutes. And then you don't have to think about it again for the next day, but you're really, you are literally rewiring your brain to be happier and more focused and be less anxious and scared. Mm, Yeah. So remembering why you want to do this and what are the potential benefits out of it is a great way to just help yourself be in the discomfort and be like, okay, I don't like this. This is no fun, but I'm going to do it anyway for this, for that, or maybe 
just to teach myself to do the hard thing, just to teach myself to be okay with things that are challenging and like to push myself into, you know, my edge and see what happens there. Like, even if you're like, well, I'm not feeling the benefits yet. You know, I don't feel that my brain has changed. Like maybe you're still learning something in that moment. Maybe it's letting go of your attachment to the benefits of the things you do. Maybe, right? Like there's always other lessons we can always look for. I think if we're particularly on the spiritual path, like if we're not only doing meditation because I need to feel less anxious or because I can't sleep at night, but if it's part of, a bigger practice or a bigger choice of lifestyle and like path, then there's also these things we can remember, I think. Yeah, totally. I love that. And everyone starts a meditation practice for a different reason. Mm. And I think it always serves people to slow down and to turn inward and to just like take inventory of like, but what's actually happening? Like, how am I really feeling? How am I really doing? I think that's such a powerful practice. And we live in such a just overstimulated, overactivated world and life that I think there's such an art to being able to just be still, even if it doesn't Mm. feel good or pleasant and just be like, but how am I doing? Like, what thoughts am I having? What feelings am I having? Like what's going on with me instead of really kind of numbing and, you know, quieting down everything that is trying to talk to you. You know, I'm thinking of all those things. That's why everything starts yelling at you when you quiet the mm-hmm. mind. It's like, oh, thank God. Like they're finally listening. I've been trying to yeah. tell you for years. And so then they, you know, your body, your mind, your heart, whatever is like, oh, finally I have your attention. And from experience, like the yelling, if you are experiencing that gets a little quieter because it's just the more you listen and the more you tune in, then you can make these little subtle adjustments. You can do something about it. And then when you quiet your mind, everything doesn't feel like it has to start like screaming for your attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's the option of, I think when we go with guided meditations or yoga nidra to begin, if it's really hard to sit in like a Vipassana like meditation or a mindful meditation where you don't have any guidance and you're just sitting with the tornado of thoughts, they are yelling at you. Like if you use something guided, if you use a yoga nidra, then it's a different support, right? It's not like one is better than the other. I really don't believe that. But do you feel like some people think it doesn't count somehow, or like it's not the same if it's guided or anything like that? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I kind of heard that as I was saying it. I'm like, I don't believe that, but I feel like other people might believe that. Well, it's like, have you ever heard that when people say they're using props and yoga, it's cheating? Has anyone uh-huh. told you that before? Yeah. And I'm like, so is a guided cheating. meditation cheating? I don't. I mean, it's only something I've so dedicated either. my adult life to, but <laughs> I do not think so. I think Slightly of it biased. as, yeah, I'm a little biased, but my personal opinion is that it's absolutely not cheating mostly because I think of it like when you're bowling and you know, like you put those little bumpers in so that you don't get like a full like gutter ball. It Mm kind of just helps you stay on track to have like, it's a guided meditation because a guide is leading it. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't go to a yoga class and be like, oh my gosh, I'm totally cheating because there was a teacher there. That's such a good point. But for some reason we think like, oh, but people also think that meditation is like you magically sit down and you turn your mind off like a light bulb. And that's just not how it works. So like, well, you know, I didn't do it quote, right. Cause that's probably mm-hmm. the biggest question I get is how do I know I'm doing it, you know, right. And I'm doing the little mm-hmm. like finger quotes thing. And because, you know, they're like, oh, well, I still have thoughts or I still have feelings or, you know, my brain is so active. I'm so, you know, 
all over the place. So how do people know if they're doing it right then? So I always say, if you're doing it, you're doing it right. Like if you're trying meditation is single pointed concentration. So it is going back to the light bulb. Like every day you're walking around, your mind is like a light bulb light is on. It's shining in all directions. When you meditate, you're taking that light bulb, you're turning it to a laser pointer. So you're taking all of that mental capacity and focusing it on just one thing. Now that thing could be anything. It could be the voice of a guide leading you through a meditation. It could be your breath. It could be a mantra. It could be anything, scanning through your body, your point of concentration can be anything. You're just trying to take your mind, take that light bulb, turn it into a laser pointer. So if you are practicing or trying to practice single pointed concentration, you're doing it and you're doing it the right way. It may not necessarily be the way that resonates with you. That doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it maybe wrong for you. So finding a teacher or a style and try a bunch of different ones till you find one that fits, just like with yoga teachers, you have to Mm -hmm. try different styles, try different teachers until you find the ones where you're just like that. I really just like jive with that. But yeah, if you're doing single pointed concentration or attempting to you're meditating. Yeah. I think that's a great reminder. It's really we're simple so hard too. on ourselves. I know. I know. Like, you know, we're always like looking for another reason to be even harder on ourselves. It's like, oh, and now I'm finally meditating, but I'm cheating because I use a yeah. guided meditation or, oh, I can't really do the, you know, whatever splits or half splits in yoga. Cause I have blocks under my hands. That's cheating. And it's like, well, I think either way, like your, you know, hamstrings and hip flexors and yeah. I think you're still definitely doing it. We're just so hard on ourselves. We don't need to be. Yeah. In within the yoga practice, I've taken a lot of class with Jason Crandall and he says quite a bit, any amount of the pose is the pose. And that always stuck with me, like for the physical practice. So that just made me think for the practice, like for the meditation practice, like can any amount be your meditation practice? Like you're seated or you're walking, but you're trying to, concentrate on one thing you're trying to turn inward like any amount of it is it Absolutely. and just do that for now I love or that. do that forever like that's enough you know but I think we're so in the mental state of like it's never good enough we're never good enough like there's so much lacking that it obviously ripples onto our yoga and meditation practices as well I agree a hundred percent with all of that and I think that you know we forget that when we come into this world that we came into this world, whole. And Mm. when we, you know, each day we're still whole and we're going to leave this earth whole. We're just so conditioned to think that like, no matter how you, you know, rearrange the pieces that they're not going to quite like add up somehow. And that's just not true. And I think you hit the nail on the head that we're always looking for other reasons to like validate and be like, Oh, see, and I can't even like meditate right. Or Mm -hmm. I have to use props and yoga. And it's kind of just like reaffirming this idea that it's like, we're not enough. confirming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that's all, I mean, that's a lie it's not true. Like you came into this world and you are enough and you're whole and, and you're going to leave this earth the same way. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to prove that to anyone except for yourself. And once you can kind of, you know, tune inward and access that part and trying to, for me, it's all about being connected to the true self and the soul space, because that's like that wholeness within us. So if you can tap into that, then you start to realize that it's not to say you aren't going to make mistakes or be imperfect. Like you're a human being, of course you will. But wholeness and being enough doesn't ask us for perfection. It just, mm-hmm. a- it asks us to do our best and to recognize that, you know, it's not about external things that we really just have to just see it residing within us already. Mm-hmm. Totally. I wanted to make a last distinction for people that are not as familiar with yoga nidras. 
What's the difference between like a guided meditation and a yoga nidra and what's special about yoga nidra? I personally love it. So I, I know you teach it as well. And so I want to know what you have to say about that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you were to take a yoga nidra class for the first time, it would feel like a very long guided meditation is what it would feel like. So mm -hmm. you're most likely in Shavasana the entire time. You would just be listening to the sound of my voice, walking you through these different steps. You start with rotating through, well, you start with setting an intention or sankalpa, then you move through rotation of awareness in your body and then your breath and then your emotions. And then you do some visualization and then a little silence and you reaffirm your intention at the end. The whole process takes anywhere from like 30 to 60 ish minutes. Mm -hmm. So it would just feel like a really long guided meditation. But what is actually happening is the teacher is facilitating a guided journey through your koshas, the different layers of your being, the different bodies that you have, and is trying to bring you face-to-face -face with Atman or the true self or the soul, so, which is where you're planting that seed of intention or sankalpa in what is supposed to be the most fertile soil of manifestation, which is the true self or the soul. So you're taking this conscious journey and it's like, you know, kind of those little, like, what do you call it? Like the little Russian nesting dolls where you have like the mm -hmm. original in the middle and then all these other, you know, copies. It's like you're trying to open up all of the different copies to get to like the original. And that's what we're trying to do with Yoga Nidra. And then we're planting a beautiful, positive seed of intention, any kind of intention in Atman or the true self. That's lovely. Yeah, I would encourage strongly people to try it if they haven't and to integrate it once in a while in their practice when they need like a little bit of a bigger reset, let's say, or like giving themselves yeah. that time to really... I don't know the word. Yes. It's just the exhale. <laughs> and I always tell people try it at least twice because the first time, I mean, it's going to be very different probably than what you've experienced before. So the first time you might just be kind of like, Oh, what's going on here? Or, you know, you might get a little bit restless or be unsure, but I say the same with like restorative yoga too. If you're new to it, like give it at least a solid, like two tries before you decide if it's for you or not, because if any kind of style of yoga that you're trying is very different than what you're used to, like the first try, it's not that it doesn't count, but I don't think it's, it'll be a fair evaluation as to whether or not mm -hmm. it's a good fit. It might for not you. represent exactly yeah, your experience over time. Yeah. So give it like a good solid two tries and then decide if you find benefit from that style. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned meditation retreats. So before we finish, is that for beginners? Is that for people that have a regular practice? You talked about there's some resistance there. Who would go to this retreat? Why would they decide to go? What are some advantage of that format versus doing it on your own at your house with the podcast and guided meditations? Yeah, so I can only speak to my retreats or ones that I've personally been on. And part of the reason that I think it's so important to try a lot of different teachers and to find one that resonates with you is that if you're someone and you're thinking about doing a meditation retreat, only do it with a teacher that it really aligns with you because you are about to spend so much time <laughs> with that teacher and so much time like meditating. You don't need to be tortured. And going, yes, you don't. Like make sure that you like this person and their teaching before you embark on like a full-blown retreat with them. So that's like the first thing. So if you go on a meditation retreat with me, I open it up to anyone that wants to learn. So I will always be honest with people that, you know, like you said, you're gonna spend a lot of time with me. You're gonna spend a lot of time meditating. You're gonna really be taking a journey inward, but it can be a really beautiful 
experience. And I think everyone gets what they need out of it, but that's different for everyone. So for me personally, but this is also just my philosophy in general. Like I always tell people, I'm like, you know, just come on over, check out the podcast, like listen to a few, see if it resonates with you. Like just show up as you are, like the doors are open. Like we'd love to have you. And I very much have that similar approach, like meditation retreats where it's like, no, I would love to have you. Like if you're feeling pulled to do this, do this. But what you can expect is a lot of meditation, but it's not necessarily all day. So it's usually like do some morning movement and some meditation, maybe like a little bit of breakfast and then either a workshop or a lot of times I travel. So like this summer, like just next month I'll be in Ireland. So we'll do like some touristy type things sometimes as a group. Mm -hmm. It's also a really beautiful way to meet other like, like like-minded people that also love meditations. Like the most beautiful friendships are formed Mm -hmm. on these Mm -hmm. retreats. And then we do like some evening session and maybe some dinner and then end with like restorative yoga or some yoga nidra and each retreat has a different theme. So it's illuminate your soul is what I'll be doing next month in Ireland, but each one's a little bit different. And so you kind of break up the meditation practices and the learning and the workshops with like also just enjoying your time. So it's like, the ones that I do is like a little bit vacation, but a little bit meditation mm-hmm. retreat. But I have done more intensive ones for me personally. I once lived with monks for 10 days and took a vow of silence. And like, that's definitely more intense than like, let's go to Ireland for a week and like mm-hmm. have, you know, these different <laughs> sessions with them. We're going to break it up with like sea kayaking kind of like, yeah. So just, it depends on what you're looking for. Just do your research. I personally think there's such a wonderful, beautiful way to connect with the self and also to make the commitment. Like if you're just hitting play on a podcast episode, which is a great thing too, but that's like 15 minutes of your day where this is like an entire, like seven day, like immersion experience. And like the walls come down, like you're surrounded by people that are there to support you and are taking the journey with you. And it's just, it's such a powerful experience. Yes. And so it's like, it really is just like this intensive, like spiritual experience. So that's kind of, mm-hmm. I, know, yeah. that, I don't know what other questions Lovely. about that. that <laughs> no, that's great. It was just okay. for people that might like feel concerned or afraid that maybe they're not there yet, you know, because we're yeah. always right. You're like, well, I can't go on a retreat. I've been meditating for X amount. Like, I feel like people would have these kind of objections. So that's why I just wanted us to chat a little bit about it. But I yeah. think that was great. Anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's like one takeaways you'd like listeners to leave with today, what would that be? So I think the biggest takeaway for me, or if I could tell everyone here, one thing is that it's just, if you haven't started taking a journey to the true self, do it. You won't regret it. And when you're doing that work, don't forget that you always have that internal compass within you. And anytime that you are surrounded by chaos or opinions or uncertainty or anything that life can throw at you, you have this beautiful tool of being able to reconnect with your true center and your essence and your internal guide and that you have this wonderful, beautiful thing within you. And don't forget that you have that Mm. and that it's so powerful and unique just you. So I encourage everyone to try to just connect to that true self space and you won't regret it. And I think it just makes life a little bit easier and a little more joyful. (laughs) You're right. I'll put all your info in the show notes, but in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you? If they want to reach out, they want to say hello, they want to try the meditations, they want to practice with you, get to that retreat. Yeah. So, I mean, you can always go to my website, which is yoga and like learn about how we potentially could work together. But what I really just, 
I mean, I really just like to do the open door invitation. If you listen to this and I would love to be able to lead you in a meditation on my podcast, it's called mindful in minutes and just scroll through, pick a topic that is speaking to you, hit play mm-hmm. and, you know, come as you are doors are open. We would love to have you It's such a beautiful community over there. Just give it a try. Then if it resonates with you, then you can dabble on the website, but just come on over and hang out with us. It's a fun time over there. And I use Instagram. I'm like an older millennial. So that's my wheelhouse. So you can DM me on Instagram. My handle is at yoga for you online. I answer my DMS. I just love chatting and connecting. So it's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today, Kelly. That was a lovely chat. Oh, thank you. It was so great to connect with you and to meet you in person. And this really was the highlight of my day. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't already done so, please leave a review for this episode of the podcast in general, anywhere you listen. It really helps people find it. If you're looking for the show notes of this episode, you can find them at ericabelanger.com slash 136. And I'll link there all our other episodes on meditation if you want to continue to listen on that one subject. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast and their support of making this possible. And that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time.